All right, welcome to another episode of T-Rex Talk, a podcast-exclusive episode. And this one is a actually kind of a strange bit of foreshadowing, because uh, last week, or almost two weeks ago now, I had a conversation uh, with the Seaburn Art Guys and Grand Thumb, and it was part of a podcast uh, that hasn't been released yet. But the topic of that podcast was... What does gun culture 3.0 look like? And like many conversations with that group of people, we didn't stay entirely uh, on topic. It was a wild, rambling, uh, many-faceted conversation, but it got me thinking. And so even though that conversation has already been recorded and that episode is due for uh, release uh, sometime after this one is, I've been thinking a little bit about that. And um, so first of all, I've been thinking about what gun culture 2.1 and Gun Culture 2.0 look like, and how they came about, and their strengths and their weaknesses, and both what I think Gun Culture 3.0 will look like, based on trends and the way that things are going, but also some things that I would really love to see in uh, Gun Culture 3.0. So, let's let's try to define some of these terms. Even though Gun Culture 1.0, 2.0, these are not... Uh, This is a really mushy, mushy thing. This is not a self-proclaimed thing either. This is, in hindsight, trying to determine different trends and and lump them all together under labels that are hopefully helpful. But for a little bit of context, I think it's worth pointing out that America didn't have any widespread weapon control laws until the late 1800s, after the Civil War, 1860s and 70s. That's when you start to see gun control bills. And even those gun control bills were not uh, universally applied. They were very selectively applied, even within the states where they they existed. But nevertheless, that's when you start to see weapon control laws. Prior to that, everybody has guns. Guns are just tools. You need guns to provide for your family. You need guns to defend your family. The guns that citizens have and the guns that militaries are using are basically the same guns, except the civilians usually have nicer and more expensive ones. But nevertheless, this idea that the government can control the guns that people own uh, starts to proliferate uh, starting in the 1870s. And 50, 60 years later, the time is ripe for the NFA, the National Firearm Act that passed in 1934 that restricts people to uh, owning non-short-barreled rifles, non-short-barreled firearms, no machine guns, and no suppressors. Uh, Unless, of course, you pay the tax, which at the time was very, very large. But then after that 1930s period of rapid government expansion and control was World War II. And while World War II certainly didn't really put the brakes on the expansion of government, a huge percentage of the American population fought in that war. Somewhere between 10 and 11 percent of the U.S. population actually went to Europe or the Pacific. So if you think about that, that is 20 plus percent of American men actually fought in that war. So a really high percentage of adult men were combatants in this world war, which means that even though you have these laws on the books about guns, uh, you are probably in the 60s and 70s growing up like my dad. You know an awful lot of people who have been in combat. You know an awful lot of people that have a lot of direct experience with really high-end military material. If you're curious about machine guns, if you're curious about sniper rifles, if you're curious about tanks and planes and stuff like that, odds are your dad or your uncle or a whole bunch of your uncles and a bunch of guys in your town have direct first-hand experience in combat with this stuff. 
But that does start to go away. A lot fewer Americans actually go to war in Vietnam. A lot fewer of them are actually volunteers. A lot fewer of them actually come back, plug back into their communities and have this ongoing conversation with curious kids about military weaponry. And so there starts to be a loss of military weapon knowledge. And that's kind of where I feel like gun culture 1.0 starts. Gun culture 1.0 in the United States is really focused on sporting arms, duck guns, deer rifles, uh, maybe a J-frame revolver for self-defense in the pocket of your coat. This is kind of where things have ended up in the United States. This is the gun culture 1.0 that I grew up in based on the level of familiarity that people had with firearms, and not just with firearms, but the proliferation of firearms, and firearms for the direct purpose of fighting, self-defense, public defense, etc. And even though my dad was extremely gun-friendly and actually was very much involved in Second Amendment advocacy, gun culture 1.0 was still very much what I grew up in. Even my most Second Amendment-friendly friends had duck guns, deer rifles, revolvers. Uh, it was a very different culture than we had today. And you can see this widely across the culture. Your action movies have guys doing impossible things with really lame guns, without aiming, without reloading, without any type of manual of arms whatsoever. Uh, if you did see firearms training, it was usually these kind of weird uh, concealed carry lessons that you'd get on VHS tapes. And while you had um, the gun owners of America doing some really solid advocacy work, you would also see uh, the NRA doing just very generic sporting rights, trying to stop people from diminishing where you could hunt ducks and uh, where you could hunt deer and just really super basic stuff. This is the time that the Clinton assault weapons ban gets put into effect, and it really diminishes the amount of semi-automatic rifles that are even available to buy, let alone the things that are being developed and put into the market as new equipment. It felt pretty stagnant uh, to someone like myself, who was very interested in military history and military hardware. I read a lot of the books that my local library had on gun stuff and military stuff, and it was it was pretty anemic. If you really knew where to go and you found the right bookstores and you found the right uh, old guys, you could find more information and more knowledge about stuff, but it certainly wasn't out there in the public eye. And it took a lot of effort to dig it up. That is my clearest memory of Gun Culture 1.0, reading about night vision goggles in Vietnam and having no idea how to learn the next thing about them. And that's why I really think that gun culture 2.0 starts right about the time that the internet begins. Now, it's not just the internet. We also have the end of the Clinton assault weapons ban so that there starts to be AR-15s on shelves again. AR-15s uh, get innovated with again. You get small manufacturers making semi-automatic rifles again. A whole bunch of stuff starts to happen right around the year 2000. But that internet is really a pretty important thing, because now there starts to be a lot more information about guns. Even though a lot of it is coming from basically the same people, it is now far easier to find, and that allows this snowball of interest in firearm stuff and in combat stuff to really get rolling. You can see that in the movies. The movies uh, start to show people using better firearms and better arm firearm handling skills and actually using reloading and aiming and limitations of weapon systems as like plot points and stunt uh, excuses. And video games start to get better. Back in Gun Culture 1.0, uh, video games did not represent guns very well because your gun was never more than like three pixels. 
So accuracy wasn't really an option, even if the developers uh, wanted to have that. But as video games get better, and the video game market is getting more and more educated about firearms and firearm use, you actually see people going out of their way to model real firearm manual of arms and interaction and use properly. Or at least more accurately than those uh, three-pixel unlimited ammo revolvers. And you can also really see this on social media. As social media begins to have traction and an impact, and especially once video sharing on YouTube starts to be a thing, there's a gigantic explosion of people documenting the equipment that they have, what they're doing with it, how they're learning the things that they learn, showing their work, and really inspiring other people to be interested or to try some of these different training things. And I want to back up just a little bit because I really feel like the Magpul training videos are what started that particular wave. When I was a kid, people were very, very nervous about talking about the weapons that they had because they didn't want to get put onto a list. And they were very, very nervous about the kind of information that they wanted to learn or that they wanted to uh, let other people know that they had because they were worried about those lists. Those uh, concealed carry lessons that were really <laughs> hilariously awkward now in hindsight that you could get on these weird old bootleg VHS tapes sold under the table at gun stores were nothing compared to the just really clear, decisive, and bold statements being made by the guys in those Magpul training videos. Travis Haley and Chris Costa made no bones about what they were doing with firearms, who their targets were, the fact that it was actually fighting, the fact that they were going to do it with AR-15s, the fact they were going to do it with 30-round magazines, etc., etc., etc. I think this was a massive, massive cultural shift that hopefully internet and gun historians of the future will give proper credit to. But it completely changed the way that all the rest of us probably thought about making firearm content for YouTube, for Instagram, for these other social media platforms that popped up. And it certainly changed the way that people thought about firearms and firearm use and firearm accessories. And while this is going on, there are just so many different factors. It's very hard to separate these out. For example, there's massive developments in flashlight technology, optics technology. It becomes rapidly available. All of the stuff that was completely on hold and delayed by the assault weapons ban comes into full force. Amazing developments in CNC technology and machining technology and the amount of uh, uh, small-scale machine manufacturer that's available in the United States. All of these things come together at about the same time, and the change is pretty phenomenal. Again, we're not seeing super clear delineations between Gun Culture 1.0 and Gun Culture 2.0. For example, you can still go into gun shops and meet crusty old guys who will recommend that women only buy pink revolvers, uh, snub nose, but chambered in 357 Magnum. And there were some Gun Culture 2.0 people that I knew in the past. When I was a kid, a friend of mine was an infantry guy who, when he got out of the U.S. Army, built out fighting kit that would look very much at home on almost any Instagram cool, hip, tactical Instagram page today, uh, especially since many of the parts were kind of retro cloner build stuff, which is, which is hot right now. But his equipment and what he wanted to do with it was very much in line with what people are talking about today. But that being said, he was kind of an anomaly. I also knew other army guys who, once they got out did not have any expectation of maintaining the same fighting capability as a civilian and didn't really want to talk to this weird uh, nosy little gun nerd that asked them a lot of questions about stuff. 
But all that to say, I feel like there is a tremendous amount of movement forwards and upwards in between Gun Culture 1.0, that mushy concept that I've tried to lay out, and Gun Culture 2.0, this equally mushy concept that we're probably all much more familiar with today. But what's interesting to me is this movement is not just in the gun community itself. If you look at the general public and you look at nationwide polls, which I don't trust super far, but a lot of the times you can look at data from the exact same polling organizations and then you're at least comparing apples to apples, there are far fewer people who are interested in banning guns today. And even squishy questions like, should there be more regulation or less regulation? Those questions are getting way better responses now than 10 years ago phenomenally better responses than 20 years ago. There is way more constitutional carry in the United States than there was 10, 15 years ago. The sheer abundance of information about not just gun stuff, not just hardware, not just the stuff that is out there, not just new products, but the sheer abundance of information that is out there about Second Amendment, historical research into different nations and the way that they did personal and private defense. Thoughts about how you actually do gunfighting. It is everywhere. And it has, I think, a massive cultural impact even outside of the people who are actively involved in that conversation. If you guys remember a video that we put out a few years ago on everything you're not supposed to know about suppressors, you probably remember a joke where we are talking about John Wick 2 and the completely silent silencers that let you carry on a gunfight in a crowded train station without anybody noticing. That was a very funny inside joke for the gun community when that video came out. But earlier this week, the exact same joke was made by a much larger and more culturally acceptable YouTube channel. I'm talking, of course, about Ryan George's pitch meetings. So then we're going to have this funny scene where they're shooting at each other with silencers and everybody around them's completely oblivious. I mean, guns with silencers still make a decent amount of noise. No, they don't. People don't hear the bullet impacts and the concrete flying and whatnot. No, they don't. Well, okay then. And I am just tickled pink that that joke is out there, not just because I'm a pitch meeting fan, but that got seen by a lot more people and it got appreciated by a lot more people than if somebody had made that joke five years ago on the exact same YouTube channel. One of the biggest differences between Gun Culture 1.0 and Gun Culture 2.0 is the way that Gun Culture 2.0 reaches out and creates this cultural shift in other areas of the population as they get more and more educated on how guns work, what guns do, and the way that gun owners actually operate and want to interact with other people. And that gives me a lot of optimism for gun culture 3.0. And I think that we're already seeing kind of tendrils of gun culture 2.0 reaching out into the future. There's a lot more conversation about body armor. There's a lot more conversation about night vision and tactics and radios. There's a bunch more people tinkering with making their own 3D printed guns. This is something that would have been not unthinkable, but very uh, distasteful a few years ago. The explosion of interest in suppressors, um, the explosion of interest in CQB guns that has kind of been made possible by the SIG brace that SB Tactical came up with. All sorts of things have happened that have really pushed the needle a long way within our own gun community, but that has had a phenomenal effect outside of our community in ways that we 
probably don't really grasp or understand quite yet. And I think that that's going to be the case with Gun Culture 3.0 as well. And we're seeing a lot more cross-pollinization of groups and interests and ideas. Not so much because of what the gun folks are doing, but as the political situation in America develops... Uh, is develop the right word I'm looking for? As it ferments and uh, goes in the direction that it's currently going in, a lot of other freedom-minded folks who were focused on specific areas of freedom are now also getting on Second Amendment issues. They are now also buying guns. They are now also training in ways that they weren't in 1990. And the good news is they get to join gun culture where it is now. They don't have to go back and start in the 1990s. They don't have to buy an SKS, put Tapco furniture on it, and then later realize that they did something wrong and be ashamed about it. They get to join the gun conversation now and buy today's technology and today's training information and benefit from all of the people that have come before. And this goes both ways. Because of the current political uh, developments... Still sounds wrong. Because of the current political fermentation, a lot of the issues that Second Amendment people should be thinking about in order to be intellectually consistent are actually happening. I've known so many people who have said that they would not let the government have their guns over their dead body, but would just send their kids off to government schools without a second thought. That's being challenged now. That's being challenged because of a whole bunch of different things that are happening in the political space, and it's affecting gun culture 2.0 people, but it's also enabling gun culture 2.0 people to bring more homeschooling and private schooling advocates on board. There's people doing small business and manufacturing stuff that are getting plugged into this gun community. There's people who have been involved in community involvement and political involvement way above and beyond gun companies. And now there's bridges between those people. Those guys are buying guns. Gun companies are starting to do more lobbying. That cross-pollinization is something that I think we will see a lot more of in gun culture 3.0. So, to recap uh, some of these trends, I feel like Gun Culture 1.0 is best summarized by a focus on equipment, uh, actually just owning the thing, and a little bit of training. Not no training, but just focused on owning the thing, owning the J-Frame revolver and having it in your pocket, owning the rifle and having it in your closet, and it was very insular. Uh, people were very careful about whether or not they wanted to tell their friends that they were, in fact, gun owners. Gun Culture 2.0 still has a very strong focus on owning kit and equipment, but I think that there's a lot more of a focus on the capabilities that that equipment actually allows for, and a lot more emphasis on training. And then Gun Culture 3.0, I think, is going to be a wider understanding of overall capabilities, not just gun capabilities, but an overall understanding that guns are tools that allow you to do certain things. And of all the objectives that we have, guns are tools and other things are also tools that all work together. And I think that deeper and wider principles are going to be a part of Gun Culture 3.0. And I also think that there's going to be even more outreach and even more advocacy. Now, there's also a chance that we will uh, we'll see some reversals here and there. But the positive effects of gun culture 2.0 folks being very outspoken, loud and proud about what they own and what it is that they're capable of doing in their training. Uh, is it a danger? Yeah, obviously it's a danger to reveal your capabilities uh, in certain times and to certain people. But the benefit of doing that, I think, is pretty unmistakable at this point. And I think that there's going to be even more of that in gun culture 3.0. I'm already seeing people... As the rhetoric around ghost guns gets ratcheted up to 11 by the left, I'm seeing an awful lot of people on the right lean very heavily into making ghost guns and almost flaunting their ghost guns. So 
Uh, I think the trend there is pretty obvious as well. Now, while this is a logical extension of the direction that the gun community has been going, and I guess about some of the technological stuff that they may be developing and uh, future allies that they haven't really reached out to yet, these are just pretty easy, simple guesses, in my opinion. What I really want to talk about next is where I would like gun culture 3.0 to be. Some moves that are a little bit less obvious possibly less logical, uh, but potentially extremely effective. So I want you to tune in next week. That's what we're going to be talking about in the uh, episode uh, that's coming out next. What I personally, these are my opinions, think that gun culture 3.0 could be and should be, and some of the things that we should do to position ourselves to make them as effective as possible. And some of the some of the developments that are probably coming down the pike, make those as, as effective as they, as they could be. And uh, in the meantime, keep an eye out for that Art and War podcast episode that has those guys, myself, and Grand Thumb on it. We kind of cover this topic, but uh, there's also just a whole bunch of other stuff out there. So, foreshadowing. If you're familiar with that podcast, you understand how rambly <laughs> that discussion actually got. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I never have uh, a really solid, complete, obvious ending note. But uh, I'm sure this one will have one. <laughs>